Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls, featuring all electric vehicles from Nissan and Toyota in stock now. Learn more at leeauto.com electric. This is Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Erwin Gratz, joined by Maine Public's Chief Political Correspondent Steve Missler and Statehouse Reporter Kevin Miller. With hindsight, it's now clear that the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade abortion ruling in 1973 held states together, at least when it came to basic abortion law. Last July, the court repudiated that decision, and American states are now flying farther apart on the issue. In many states, that's meant new restrictions on the procedure. Maine may be poised to do the opposite. Kevin, tell us about Governor Mills' proposal, which this week drew a potentially historic turnout for a legislative hearing. So just as a quick reminder, uh, what Governor Mills and uh, Democratic leaders in the legislature are proposing is they want to lift the current restrictions on abortion that happen later in a pregnancy. So we're talking in that post-viability period, generally starting around 24 weeks. Uh, Currently here in Maine, we only allow abortions after that point to protect the life or the health of the mother. And what Mills and abortion rights proponents want to do is they want to allow them whenever a doctor deems the procedure to be medically necessary. I, I think it's important to to point out here that these are still extremely rare instances and are often pretty tragic stories when, when a mother learns very late in a pregnancy that a fetus has a fatal condition. And right now, women who face these these really tragic situations, their, their only option is to go to places like Colorado where they can get that procedure done. But this proposal has really angered and alarmed abortion opponents who see it as this uh, radical and a dangerous expansion that could allow abortion almost up to the point of birth. And we definitely saw that at the State House on Monday. There were more than 600 people signed up to testify against the bill in person. That doesn't include the many, many hundreds who were there to show their opposition. They pretty much filled every floor of the state house, and it was one of the largest crowds. I think you know I've been around the state house for for quite some time. It's one of the largest crowds I've ever seen on a single issue. the The hearings lasted more than 19 hours. It actually started at noon and went until seven o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, and that's even after the committee chairwoman put a one minute time limit on. Uh, opponents being able to testify. So this really was a show of force by the anti-abortion movement, and it comes after abortion rights supporters did very well at the polls here in Maine uh, last year. So Steve, Mister, what are the chances that this measure the governor has introduced will actually be approved by the legislature? And if it passes, does that settle the issue here in Maine? So the bill has more than 90 co-sponsors, all Democrats, but not all of them, Erwin. And also sponsoring a bill doesn't necessarily mean that a legislator will vote for it. And I think that is what abortion opponents are hoping for, at least for now. I spoke with Carol Conley at the Christian Civic League of Maine about this yesterday, and he said that abortion opponents are really focusing on the Democrats who did not sponsor the bill and also Democrats who represent districts that previously were represented by lawmakers who either opposed abortion or supported restrictions on the procedure. Now, Conley is pretty realistic about the prospects of flipping Democrats on this, but nevertheless, he says that that's where his group is focusing its energy. At the same time, however, he also acknowledged that his group is contemplating a people's veto if this bill becomes law. 
Now, the Christian Civic League has plenty of organizing experience in this. I think you can credit them for helping turn out like-minded church groups for the public hearing this week, which was massive, as Kevin just laid out for you. Uh, so I would expect that if there is to be a people's veto referendum, the, the Christian Civic League will be in the thick of it. There may be other groups that try to get out ahead of them, but the league has done this before, specifically in campaigns opposing same-sex marriage in 2009 and 2012. It was successful in the former, but not the latter. But I think they view this bill as really energizing their movement. Well, and the other difference, uh, when, I, when you think about 2009, 2012, um, if a people's veto measure goes on this fall's ballot, we're talking an off-year election, generally lower turnout. Yeah, that right. could and have that, a huge difference. That make a, that could make a huge difference, as opposed to maybe having it next year when we have presidential primaries, which has affected people's vetoes in the past. Yeah, and I would just add here that you know, obviously, abortion is an extremely emotional and a and a difficult issue for people to talk about, and I think that's even more so when we're talking about ending pregnancies that are that are after a point when a baby could be viable. Uh, right now, the bill actually does not precisely define or or outline the specific circumstances that that would justify a doctor saying that something is medically necessary. And that's something that the abortion opponents have really picked up on. And they're, so I, I think that if certainly over the next couple of weeks, as this goes to the legislature, and definitely if it gets to the, uh, the ballot initiative, I would expect to see that abortion opponents are really going to push these really kind of uncomfortable narratives to, to put pressure on lawmakers and, and potentially the public. Kevin, is an abortion measure like this actually necessary in Maine? It is in order to terminate a pregnancy for reasons um, other than to protect the life or the health of the mother. But people opposed to the bill have actually been questioning that. And they've they've been pointing to a memo that came out from, of all places, the Maine Attorney General's office uh, just last July as proof that it's not needed. Uh, the, the AG's office put out this uh, memo, which they called a Know Your Rights Memo, and it came out right after the Supreme Court decision uh, overturning Roe versus Wade. And indeed, when you look at this one-page memo, it does say that that abortions can happen later in a pregnancy when a fetus has a fatal condition. But that's not correct. And when we checked in with the Attorney General's office recently about it, they acknowledged that they made a mistake on the flyer. But that hasn't stopped opponents from pointing to that. And they, they distributed this flyer in, in committee, and I fully expect that we'll continue to see this flyer be distributed around the state house as it gets closer to a vote. Yeah, and I'll just add that one of the arguments supporters have made is that uh, abortions that occur late in a pregnancy are exceedingly rare. Most of them are, occur pretty early in a pregnancy. And that, of course, begs the question, and it's a political one, really, and that's why do why do this and activate an anti-abortion movement that was really on its heels during the 2022 election. And the answer from supporters has been twofold. The first part is that they're really framing this bill in the context of the national abortion landscape, which, as you mentioned, Erwin, at the top has changed dramatically since the Dobbs decision last year. Lots of states have completely outlawed abortion. Others are seeking criminal penalties against women and doctors who go to other states to get one. So in some ways, Maine is positioning itself as a a refuge of sorts for those women, much like Colorado has been for Maine women who can't get an abortion now because of the of the fetal viability restrictions here. The other argument supporters make is that abortion laws don't and can't contemplate all the situations that might lead one to seek the procedure, and that this bill and others simply distills the abortion issues to what they believe 
is its essence, a choice between a woman and her doctor, not politicians or judges. Uh, former gubernatorial candidate Elliot Cutler had once hoped to move into the Blaine House, but instead next month, he's going to be entering the Hancock County Jail to serve a nine-month sentence for downloading thousands of images of children being sexually abused. Uh, Steve Missler, in my 40 years here, I can't recall a story quite like this. Yeah, nor can I, Erwin. And granted, I don't have the institutional memory that you do. But even if I did, I'm pretty sure that I'd have difficulty getting my head around this story. I mean, the crime itself is so revolting and confounding that it defies explanation. And then you add in the perpetrator, uh, a wealthy attorney who came within, what, 10,000 votes of becoming governor of this state, and who also reshaped politics as a result of his narrow loss in 2010, and then again in 2014, I mean, we might not have ranked choice voting in this state if not for Cutler's candidacies. And this is definitely debatable, but we might not have had Governor Paula Page either if not for Cutler's candidacies. A lot of Democrats still believe that. But aside from the political stuff, I think it's just mind-blowing to watch someone who definitely carried himself with an air of self-confidence and importance and was viewed and treated that way by others in many cases fall to such an inexplicable crime and sickness or addiction. Uh, I was struck by something he said during his court appearance, uh, which was, quote, this crime is not all of who I am or all of who I am and will be. I don't know if Cutler wrote that or his attorney did, but it made me think a lot about his prospects for redemption. And I honestly have no idea what those are. Uh, former Republican Governor Paul LePage uh, tried last year to win another four years in the Blaine House he fell short and now has decided to move back to another house out of state. Kevin, where has former Governor LePage gone? Well, I guess uh, no surprise here, uh, really, but uh, he's back in Florida. Uh, the, the LePages have owned homes in Florida for many years, and they, they've usually been in the name of the governor's wife, Anne LePage. And uh, people may remember that Governor LePage changed his residency to Florida almost immediately after Governor Mills was sworn in for her first term in 2019. Not only did he not hide that fact, he had actually been suggesting that was his plan all along uh, because Florida doesn't have an income tax. And as we all know, Governor LePage really doesn't like the income tax. You know, he made that clear throughout his eight years in office and during even during his this last run for governor. Um, so he officially moved back to Maine um, after moving to Florida, and he changed his residency back to Maine uh, right before he jumped into last year's gubernatorial campaign. But as you said, that campaign didn't quite work out like he had hoped or he had planned. And, and Lewiston Sun Journal reported this week that he has officially re-registered to vote in Florida starting in March. Maine Public's uh, Statehouse reporter Kevin Miller, along with Chief Political Correspondent and Statehouse Bureau Chief Steve Missler. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. You can have our Maine's Political Pulse newsletter emailed to you each Friday morning. Sign up at our webpage, mainepublic.org slash pulse. You can also hear an excerpt from the Pulse on Fridays during All Things Considered. Music is by Rob Holt. I'm Erwin Gratz. Join us again soon for another edition of Maine's Political Pulse.